Talk It Out podcast is brought to you by TIOPodcast.com, where 90s aesthetic meets political agenda. Find blogs written by KT, Gabby, and Joy, merch, and more episodes like this one. Of course, listeners like you are what makes this podcast so great, so if you want to continue to support us, please donate on paypal.me slash talk it out. Now for your show, Talk It Out Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Talk It Out Podcast. This is your girl, Gabby. And KT. Oh, remember, you can hit us up on our social medias, facebook.com slash talkitoutpodcast, Instagram at talkitoutpodcast, Twitter at talkitout underscore pod. Today, we're going to be talking about corporal punishment, whoopings, spankings. Are they beneficial? Is it abuse? What is that all about? We have a very special guest Dr. Stacy Patton. We're so excited to have her. Dr. Stacy Patton is an American journalist, writer, author, speaker, and college professor, and uh, she's the best. And she's also written for Washington Post. Everybody give it up for Dr. Stacy Patton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Dr. Stacy Patton, can you please <laughs> tell them where they can where they can find you? Tell them a little bit about yourself, all that good stuff. Well, you've told half the story already. Okay. Um, I teach um, I teach multimedia journalism university. I'm a child advocate, um, author of the new book "Spare the Kids: Why Whooping Children Won't Save America." Actually, it's not so new. It's actually going to be a year old this week. And uh, folks can find me on Twitter at Dr. Stacy Patton. That's S T A C E Y. P-A-T-T-O-N. I'm also on Facebook. And um, yeah, this, that's that's where you can find me. And oh, you can visit www.sparethekids.com to learn a little bit more about the work that I do. Um, on this website, we have parenting tips for folks who want to abandon that old medieval practice of whipping their kids. Um, so there's tons of resources and um, uh, conversations and tips for parents who want to learn a healthier way. Wow, amazing. Yes. Everybody go over there and check out the website. Follow her on, on Instagram, Twitter, wherever, and let her know that we sent you there, and we're going to have a very good conversation. Go ahead, KT. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Stacey Patton, just like you mentioned, you obviously have SpareTheKids.com and a book titled uh, Spare the Kids, Why Whooping Children Won't Save Black America. So my first question for you would be why and what made this conversation so interesting to you and why are you having these conversations? My work is driven um, primarily by my own personal experience. Um, growing up in a house with um, uh, my adoptive parents uh, who were lived in New Jersey, middle class, African-American couple, uh, very religious. And they believed in that whole notion of, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. It's a, a, a ver- uh, well, it's not in the Bible, but a lot of people like to use that verse to justify hitting kids. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in this house and, you know, they're... We, we, we lived in a neighborhood, a culture of people who all around believed that, you know, the best way, the most responsible way to parent black children was to beat them. And so uh, I was wholly unfitted to be beaten as a child. And so um, I ran away uh, multiple times and ended up in foster care. Um, 
And so while I was in foster care, I met so many black and brown kids who had been treated the same way. Hmm. And then funnel into a system that further puts young black and brown kids at risk for all kinds of negative outcomes. Right. And so fortunately, I, you know, I got into boarding school and took control of my life through my education. But I always knew I wanted to, when I grew up, I wanted to do work around child abuse prevention, but also like, you know, try to convince my, don't have to process black children's bodies through violence in order for them to learn, in order for them to be healthy, abiding, you know, citizens. And so that's the primary thing that drives my work. And then when I was into graduate, I really started understanding and studying the intersections between race and parenting. And so I started tracing the historical trajectory of child-rearing practices from West African cultures all the way through uh, to our current moment. And, you know, the connections became clear to me. And I started to understand that this whole notion that beating children is a black thing is an absolute myth. Actually, you know, I tell black folks that beating our children is the whitest thing we can do to destroy them. And uh, so that's, you know, some of the drivers to this work. When you think about your work, there's a lot of haters out there who (laughs) will basically, you know, say all these crazy things about, you know, I was beat as a child and I this happened to me. And, you know, quote unquote, I turned out fine, which obviously you didn't if you think that beating your children is okay, But um, so I guess what for for me, my question is, what is your response to um, to those haters and as far as your books and your website goes have you had a good response or a bad response or has it been mixed well so i've been doing this work for about 10 years and uh so before i wrote this book i, I wrote it was called that mean old yesterday and that was a memoir and that was more of my personal experiences going through foster care and uh and then into boardings that and sort of paralleling some in my childhood treatment to the treatment that enslaved children. So I started seeing parallels, so intergenerational transmission of trauma. But the way I came to spare the kids was through the Adrian Peterson um, controversy and also the controversy over Latoya Graham uh, went out into a uh, race riot and going upside her son's head. So mm-hmm. I participated in those conversations nationally, and I took a lot of heat. Um, there were a lot of black folks and white folks who were really angry that I said that Latoya Graham was not a hero for her actions. And uh, Amer- America loves a mammy. And um, and I understood her fear. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely understood her fear, but I did not like the vibration of, you know, assaulting a child. And um, so I took a lot of flack for that. But then, you know, um, my editor at Beacon reached out to me and she's just like, you know, there's a, a, a longer book to be written about this. And so um, I knew that if I was going to have this conversation and I had to talk about history, I had to talk about religion, I had to talk about comedy, I had to talk about um, brain development, I had to talk about mothers who beat their sons. I had to talk about black women who had experienced corporal punishment as a kid and sexual abuse and how the two are related. Um, so uh, I had to talk about the school to prison pipeline, the foster care to prison pipeline. I had to also showcase the 
voices of black people who either successfully raised children and never put their hands on them or those parents who decided to make a change. And what was that journey like, you know, for them? Um, so I've had mixed reactions. Um, you know, some folks have told me they, after reading the book, they stopped hitting their kids because really my book is psychological warfare. It's to say there's a, there's a whole universe of possibilities that you can set your, your kid up for when you strike their body. Um, in, in terms of what happens in the streets, the, the juvenile justice system, the adult prison system, uh, in their brains, in, in their sexual development, in their future relationships, uh, that, you know, and later in life, chronic illnesses, you know, all of these things. And just the whole notion of extending the master's lash every time we hit our kids. So it's like I've been planted those messages, those seeds. So that if a parent decides, you know, in a moment of anger, they're going to hit, they'll think about everything that they read and not do it. So I've had that response. I've had some people say to me, like, just admit, I, you know, I'm afraid to read your book because I don't want to get angry with my parents. Um, or I'm ashamed of what I did to my own kids. Um, and then there are folks who who read the title and told me I don't know how to spell because whooping is spelled W-H-U-P-P-I-N-G and not W-H-O-O-P-I-N-G, which is a sound, a whooping sound. Like, I can't do. I'm not going to read that. She can't even spell. So I have to like break out like Webster's for them. Um, so, and then, you know, people... You know, they just they don't want to hear it. Like you, you when you 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 point out all this history and the facts and the data and all that. Personally, it's like your facts, you know, um, uh, offend me um, because you're talking about their mother, you're talking about their grandmama, their preacher, their culture, them. Yeah. So it's been mixed. I feel like you know, as you were saying, the there have been studies done. There have been. Uh, so many things that are coming out and that are saying spanking and corporal punishment and any type of basically like physical touching a child whenever, you know, they're telling them not to do something has serious mental effects on them and, and sometimes physical as well. So why do you think so many people are afraid to call spanking abuse. A lot of people say there's a line there. So, like, is there a line or or is spanking just straight up abuse? So there is no line. I mean, a lot of people say there's a difference between spanking and abusing a kid. But just purely scientific perspective, um, a child's developing brain does not discern between the two. Mm. Um, if you Pop a child versus beating a child with a belt or a switch. Even if you just verbally threaten a kid, biochemical reactions in the body, uh, oxytocin, uh, cortisol. Cortisol is for you know fight or flight. So if somebody, if a big bear comes running at you, you know you your body just you know, the the cortisol rush prepares your body to do what it is evolutionarily wired to do. You're, you're going to likely run um, or, you know, you fight back or you free. Mm-hmm. And so this is what happens when a parent threatens to beat a child. This is what happens when a parent actually hits a 
child, whether it's pop on the backside or something that's akin to 12 years of slave in the living room. Um, and so uh, what happens is those cortisol rush, you know, those other uh, biochemical responses that happen in a child's body, if it keeps happening over an extended period of time, it can reduce the uh, gray matter in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. This is the area you need for logic, reasoning. I can always tell the people who have brain damage when I get into conversations over corporal punishment with them. They, they are the ones who, who get, you know, cursing folks out. They get really emotional. Their logic and reasoning is just out the door. Um, and and uh, so they look, you can damage the architecture of a child's brain. See, a lot of people think of abuse as, you know, what you can see on the flesh. You broke a bone. Child is bleeding. Child has a mark on them. But the brain tells a completely different story. Uh, we have 50 years worth of science that has, you know, charted, measured, studied, you know, these various impacts. More recently, we have brain scans that show that kids who got corporal punishment, meaning just hit once a month, just one time a month, right, um, experience uh, gray matter reduction in their brain. You can see it on the brain scan. Wow. We're not talking about abuse. We're not talking wow. about kids who got hit with belts and switches and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about SWATs on the backside. We have other scientific studies that have um, measured this, uh, taken the uh, saliva and urine from girls to measure oxytocin levels. Now, oxytocin is the, uh, they call it the love hormone. This is for arousal. This is what happens when a mother breastfeeds, when you kiss, when you're sexual. And, you know, I tell people about Oxytocin, oxytocin and corporal punishment, and their immediate reaction is, oh, I never got aroused when my mama whooped me. That's ridiculous. But what they're not understanding is that it's a chemical that still can, uh, gets released in the system. And so what happens is, particularly for girls, when you set this off, what happens is it puts your daughter at risk for precocious puberty. So think about it like a plant or an animal. Same thing with a human. We're we're all biological organisms. So if you stress that biological organism out, what it's what the trigger to the body is going to do is say, yeah, so you can have sex and procreate because you might not survive this stress to do it later. So you start popping your little girl oh, okay. at two years old, three years old. You're, you're, you're laying the foundation for some pretty um, negative outcomes early on and that's why this this information is so important to get out there i mean you, you still you know you say you still have people that can read it and they'll they'll reject it just i think because it's so it can be like a a wow moment when you actually like look back on your life and see that a lot of this stuff holds true for you like i've i've talked to my mom and my mom is an interesting case i don't know i'm sure there's other people out there like her she was born to a, a young mother, um, had about seven kids, and the only way my mom said she could control all the kids was by whooping them and, and beating them. And so she said she got a lot of whoopings, and she said when she have a child, she vowed to never whoop her children as much as her mom whooped her. Now, we got, we got some whoopings, but it wasn't, wasn't anything crazy. But what's interesting is now, Sometimes it, it depends on the day because sometimes she's like, yeah, we got too much whoopings. But then sometimes when she's talking about the bad kids, she's like, you know, we need to go back to them 
to them times where you you suggest your mom will come up there and, and beat your tail in front of the class and and everybody will be acting right if everybody used to get whoopings all the time. And I'm like, okay, so what's the truth? Do you want the folks to get whoopings or do you not want the people to get whoopings? And then it's like, how are you how are you rationalizing that in your in your head? But people do it all the time because I, I see it all the time. They'll say, you know, children need a voice or whatever. And yeah, our cho- our parents were too hard on us. But as soon as they see somebody in our generation or younger cutting up, they like, well, their parents should have whooped them some more. So wh- why do you think that is, Stacey? Why do why are people able to be so hypocritical uh, about spankings? Part of it is brain damage. Remember, I told you that whole logic and reasoning, the, those skills go out there, <laughs> out the window. Uh, that's part of it. But but also there's so much in the culture. A lot of these people are just parroting what they've heard. You know, these kids today, you know, um, they're so disrespectful. They, you know, the, you know, these kids today are more about, even though the data doesn't bear any of that out. Um, you know, like I'll hear parents say, well, these, these kids today are killing the parent. And then I say, okay, let's pause. Show me the data. Let's go to the FBI crime data right now. Oh, okay. So we have data on something called parasite, which is children who kill their parents. Now let's look at the data closely. So the data shows that this is actually the rarest form of killings. Children are actually more at risk of being killed by their parents than the other way around. Oh, and let's look at this even closer. The, 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 the age of the kids who kill their parents, they're generally adults, right? Oh, okay. And then let's see, let's look at the demographic data a little closer. Who are the predominant killers of their parents? White males. Is that so all these black folks going around justifying whooping kids because black kids are killing their parents is absolutely false. So people don't traffic in facts. They don't traffic in the data whatsoever. And then there's this, this nostalgia, like, you know, it used to be if somebody saw you acting out, everybody in the neighborhood could whoop you. Well, they all should have been arrested for assault. You know? And probably they never even saw anybody do that. They all lying. All you got you got 1980s babies, you know, age talking about a day when everybody could whoop you. That's just absolute nonsense. They all grew up in the hood and they knew their mama would come outside and kick somebody in the head if, you know, they put their hands on her child. So it's like this nostalgia that basically shifts the blame onto our children's bodies to say it is the black child of undisciplined. That is the true enemy of peace not mass incarceration, not divestment in public schools, not food, not poisoned water, um, you know, not these feckless politicians, not, not all of this corruption, not the industrialization, not all of these, these systemic violences that have made so many black adults and activists and leaders feckless. They haven't fought hard enough for, you know, our children to have a, to inherit a better world. So what do powerless people do when you don't have any real economic or political power? You shift the blame onto the weakest among them. Yep. You blame the children and say, oh, they, they our, our world is so messed up. Our neighborhoods are so messed up because we're not beating our kids enough. And there's also, you. the other thing you also hear is, oh, they made it a crime to discipline your kid. That's absolutely false. It is legal in every single 
state to assault your child. Every state has a law that tells you how to appropriately strike your child's body. If you strike your child one way in Texas and try to do the same technique up in Vermont, you're going to jail. So the problem number one is that assaulting kids is codified in the law. Hitting between adults is considered assault. It's 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 criminal. You hit a dog, it's animal cruelty. But we hit kids, it's for their own good. 18 states still allow corporal punishment in public schools. A disproportionate number of kids who are hit, disabled kids, and black children. Why? Because the parents sign opt-in forms. Yes, beat Tyrone because I don't want to have to come take time off of work and go down there and deal with it myself, right? So 18 states allow it in public schools. Every state, with, that, with the exception of New Jersey and Iowa, allow corporal punishment in private and charter schools. Nearly 70 to 80 percent, depending on what, you know, um, survey you read. So 70 to 80 percent of parents still hit their kids. So the majority of children in this country across race, class, gender, all that are being hit. So maybe that's the foundational issue. We're traumatizing kids. We're making them angry. We're sowing the seeds for aggression, a low IQ, poor logic and reasoning skills trauma, all of these things, and it's spilling out into the streets, it's spilling out into our schools. So I guess my question to you would be, um, do we even care about our children? Because whooping their own children is bad. But the fact that people are signing on for complete strangers to strike their their child when they're quote-unquote acting up is just mind-boggling to me. And I see it. And people are like, because I, I work at a school and some people are like, y'all need to bring corporal punishment back over here to, to get these children. I don't care. I'll sign it. I'll let you whoop my child. I'm like, what in the world? I, I don't understand that. And the school system is just a mess. I have a thousand of stories. Like I've seen teachers literally shake up and hit children and I've reported it and, and nothing happens. And sometimes the parents know and they don't care. And I'm just like, do y'all even care about the children? I don't I don't think they do. Um, you know, we saw last week, walkout Wednesday, uh, and in some places the students uh faced punishments ranging from detention, suspension, and in some cases corporal punishment. So the school the students got to choose get suspended or get paddled. What? And I'm like, how backward is that? Here are young people saying we don't want to be dealt with violently. And so they get punished with violence. Uh, so it is. It, it, but you, it makes sense, though, when you need when you have a racist capitalist society, you need to destroy children. You need to destroy them so that. The brutality of a racist capitalist system. So that requires coercion, submission and obedience. You see them as lacking logic and reasoning and as natural objects of, of violence. So this is this is this is what it is. This is the truth about our society. We hate children until they become adults um, and then can be afforded some semblance of privilege and protection, depending on what racial group you belong mm -hmm. to, of course. Oh. I guess I guess I can kind of talk about like my own experience. Um, basically. During that time, I was physically and emotionally abused. Uh, not only was I told that I wasn't good enough for certain things, 
But also, you know, I at one point had a taser held to my head. Um, I had was set on top of, you know, my chest. I couldn't breathe. And you tell them, hey, I can't breathe. And it doesn't matter, whatever. Anyway, long story short, a whole bunch of abuse went on. And, like, as I got older, and, and regardless, and I'm bringing this up because people – Uh, don't really realize like how it actually affects them if they're not taking a serious look at their own like own mental health and their own self because up until I was probably about 21 I didn't know how badly that had actually affected me uh I could have been said no spanking isn't so bad spanking is okay uh everyone's okay you get you're fine I was spanked and I was fine you know but like, as I grew up and, and as I got older and more, I thought, I was like, actually, you know what? Number one, I can't have any legit emotional relationships anymore. Um, number two, anytime someone, I try to have a debate on Facebook, I pop pop off and I call them ugly. <laughs> and, like, that's not, not cool. Um, and you then, ugly. <laughs> yeah, like, basically... For people like me, and based on what you you said, Stacy or Dr. Stacy, um, you also were abused. For people like us, how do we overcome that? How do we how do we get better and and not have these you know uh, terrible things going on in our brain that tell us, or even unintentionally, we are not living up to those quote unquote normal standards. Ooh, that's a great question. It takes a lot of work. Yeah, a lot. Um, you know, I was that person you described. Yeah, I was that the person you described. I mean, I had low self-worth. I mean, you know, I believe children are gods. They're, you know, pure, they're innocent. I think they're superior to adults in many ways. Right? And they come into this world just open, just open and full of love, right? And so when you begin to coerce a child, wire a child's brain to avoid fear, um, rather than remaining open to a world of all kinds of intellectual and spiritual possibilities. Uh, it has a profound effect on their development, on their, not just their physical health, but their emotional and intellectual de- development. And then when you mix religion in there, you know, as part of that coercion and fear, most people who beat their kids also believe that God is like this vengeful white man mm-hmm. who's going to like back smack you and send you to hell, <laughs> right? You know? If you twerk, you're going to hell. If you yeah. roll yes. your eyes, you're going to hell. That nonsense, right? And so by the time you get good and grown, maybe you're in your early to mid-20s, then you start to, you know, you have to be an adult. And you have to be out here navigating relationships and people and professional world. And then you start to see, you know, the impact that some of this has had on you you know, in your conversations and, you know, those sorts of things. And uh, some people wake up to it. A lot of people don't. They just, they die this way. Um, Just, just old and traumatized and bitter and angry. And they don't know why. And because there's so much pressure, there's so much cultural pressure for us not to talk about our trauma, not to talk about pain. Um, Don't you dare talk about mama. Right. So, you know, um, we, we, what goes on in this house stays in this house. And we mean that when it comes to physical coercion and pain, sexual abuse, all of those things. 
And so we keep it in and it manifests itself through some very unhealthy stuff. And so for me, I mean, I can only speak on how I got better, which was to go to therapy for many, many years. (laughs) Therapy is huge. We don't have enough therapy in our culture. And, you know, even after emancipation, it wasn't like the slaves were free. All these shrinks standing on the edges of the plantation saying, "Okay, let's let's do some. (laughs) Let's talk about the breakup and sale of your family. This race so that you don't pass that trauma on to the next generation through your genes, because we know that the science tells us that trauma changes the DNA. Inherited, you know, our grandparents, great grandparents, stuff, all of that. Right. And so that means we have to be intentional about healing. Uh, we have to want to be vulnerable. We have to want to love and be loved. And we also need to start telling the truth. Um, I also rejected Christianity because that was that was my, my first step toward liberation. Hmm. And I was like, oh, all these black people yeah. quote and spare the rod, spoil the child. Hey, first of all, I don't even go to church. That's the only verse they know how to misquote. <laughs> um, and, and that was not the religion of our ancestors. You know, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't the, the religion of our ancestors. It's not how we worship. So when I when I started understanding Black history better, right, and, and looking at the facts, looking in the archives for myself, I was like, oh my God, all these myths, all these lies. And we, you know, we have to, you know, and and you don't have to forgive. That was the other thing. That was my therapist told me years ago. She was like, you never have to forgive. That was like a huge like weight off my shoulders. That meant I didn't have to co-conspire against the little girl and what she felt and what her truths were. Um, and so it's like you, we have to, you know, be truthful about what happened to say that did not feel like love. It made me angry. It made me feel afraid. It's had this impact on me. I mean, we have to, to become emotionally literate and redefine love and blackness, you know, in a different way. We have to reject the grammar of white supremacy about our humanity, about our children being bad and predisposed to violence and mm-hmm. criminality or as needing violence. I just want to add, KT is a white woman, but yeah, it still stands. Say, I'm, I'm actually white, <laughs> but I mean, that works. Um, I just, wow. Yeah. Man. Can, yeah. Can I ask you something, uh, Dr. Stacey? Because, um, I was somewhere, probably on Twitter or something like that, and, and your name came up. And uh, a lot of people were saying, you know, they they enjoyed some of your writings and a lot of the things you were talking about. But one of the uh, criticisms that they had was that you paint the parents that whoop their, ch- their children as, like, evil and intentionally... Um, I guess, trying to cause the child harm. Um, what would you say to people that say that's pretty much what you're doing? Well, they are causing harm to them. And, and I don't, in my work, I get accused a lot of uh, demonizing. Um, um, and I don't do that. I simply state the facts. So, for example, when, if I hear black mothers say, if I don't beat my son, the police officers are going to kill him. And I say, okay, let's look at the data again. Let's go back. So how many unarmed black children have been killed by cops? So people can name the names very quickly. Tamir Wright, Mike Stanley Jones, throw Trayvon Martin in there. It's less than a dozen that people can think of. And so then I break out my chart 
And this is data from, you know, annual child maltreatment reports, government data that comes out every single year on fatality. So what I did was I disaggregated black children from that. And over the past 10 years, more than 3,000 black children have been killed as a result of maltreatment. 40% of those victims uh, were beaten to death. Wow. And, uh, and, the, and that's an average of about 360 children a year. 360 black children a year die as a result of maltreatment. Most of the perpetrators are black women age 40 and under. That's a fact. Mm. I state the fact. Now, some people will interpret that as, oh, she hates the parents. She says they're intentional. No, I'm stating the fact. The biggest perpetrators of child abuse against black children are black women, period. And so we need to have a conversation about female perpetrated violence and why that is. I, I'm not trying to you know, demonize folks, but if you beat a child with extension cords, if you punch a child, if you, you know, brutalize a child's body, if you're cursing them out, you know, I, I'm not here for adult fragility. I'm not here to coddle anybody. <laughs> right, when, right. And when when we talk about we talk about men beating women, nobody says, "Oh, we have to show these men some empathy." We have to talk about capitalism and how stressful it is to be a man, and you know all those sorts of things, and empathize with with a, a person who's being abusive. I take the same exact view when it comes to parents hitting children. Period. Yeah. And so if people want to interpret that as me hating, you know, the parents, so be it. I cannot stand people who beat children. I can't. When I was a child and my adoptive mother would backhand me in the grocery store, the parking lot, take off a shoe and hit me, yell at me, shame me, embarrass me in front of everybody. I wanted adults to speak up mm. and I wanted them to speak up forcefully to say, this is wrong. You should be ashamed of yourself the way you treat this child. And we all know the truth. You can't, if you see a parent doing that in public and you come up to them and say something, what's going to happen? They're going to curse you out, yep. you know, call you every name yep. in the book, tell you to mind your business, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's the reality of interpret my facts as me, you know, painting, you know, these parents a certain way. No, the data is doing that. Or the, the, the dead bodies of 360 kids a year. That that tells the story right there. That's what I'm focused on. Yeah, I've never thought about that. Right, you, you said adult fragility, but that's pretty much what it is. I mean, nobody is out mm -hmm. here. I mean, we're just trying to say, like, rethink why you're doing what you're doing. And a lot of times, it's just getting too bad. Like I said, I work at a school. I see so much. I remember I told, I called KT on the phone when I heard this. I was in the parking lot. This mother had a, um, that baby had to be maybe four. She was on the phone with somebody on, and she said, word for word, uh, if this girl puts her shoes on the wrong feet again, I'm going to beat the S out of her. Four mm -hmm. years old. I couldn't believe my ears. I had to call KT. I said, these people out here are, are insane. This one woman the girl was like eight years old. I don't know what happened. She told the girl, I'm going to throw you in that MF and wall because I guess she got a, a bad grade on her report. And so, like, this is the stuff that the, the children are having to go through. And people are out here saying, well, what about the parents? I mean, the parents have the power. They have to be able. We have to be able to call these folks out. 
for what they're doing because it's not right. And that's exactly what you, what you're talking about. Those scenes that you're describing and all those people who pick up video cameras, yeah, and shave their kids' eyebrows off and their hair and beat them with objects and then upload it on social media for millions of people to watch you shame your, your kid and get some kind of sick validation from it. Yes, I hate that. Yes, that behavior is mean-spirited, it's vindictive, it's harmful. My thinking is this. If you do something to someone who is weaker, smaller than you, that you wouldn't want a stronger, bigger person to do to you, you're not a victim. You're not. So a lot of people like to say, like to blame, they blame uh, being a single mom or patriarchy or racism. Well, those things are constraints, right? But they're not determinants. And so basically when people say, oh, we have to understand that when some mother has killed her kid, when she has a history of, you know, beating the kid prior to the death, right? So what they're essentially asking us to do is believe, to believe that oppressed people cannot oppress. And that's, that's absolute nonsense. I see it every day. I, I am a very radical on this regard. I believe that hitting children should be illegal. It should, it should be a crime. And you have to follow that up uh, programs in this country to teach people the basics of child development so they don't have unreasonable expectations for their kids. To teach them about brain development and ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, all of those things. And to give them everyday tools that they can uh, you know, apply with their kids. That's what needs to be ha- We need an entire culture shift around this. And there are already countries around the world that are doing it. There's no corporate punishment. It's illegal. I think yeah. one of my I think one of my biggest pet peeves is is whenever I see like a child like I, me and Gabby were in the Nike store the other day and this kid kicked one of the shoe shelves and when the kid kicked the shoe shelf the uh, mother literally just hit him and hit him and hit him and hit him over and over and over. It was a white woman and she just continued to hit him. And she was like, stop, Kevin, stop, stop, stop. I mean, like, what was the point of that? I, I don't understand why, what is the point of hitting a child to tell them to stop hitting that? That doesn't make sense. So I, I completely agree with what you're saying. But I think my question or what I'm trying to get to is the, what would you recommend people do as opposed to spanking? First of all, we've got Google. You know, at <laughs> no other time in human history do we have like information at your fingertips that's free. So, you know, if you know my child went to the bed, what do I do instead of hitting him? You know, there's tons of things. Well, maybe it's a health issue. You know, well, make, wake them up in the middle of the night and make them use a bath. Don't give them any water before. There are all of these things that you can do. How do I touch my, how do I teach my kid not to touch a hot stove instead of hitting it? It's all there, but people don't want to do the work. It takes a lot of work. It takes repetitive work. It takes empathy. So one of the things that happens when somebody beats you, you know, it destroys, in, I shouldn't say in all cases, but for a lot of people, it destroys their sense of empathy. And, and a lot of people hit their kids because they're displaying behaviors that would have gotten that got them beaten as a child. So when they see that behavior, a kid acting out in public. So that mom you describe in the Nike store, she's she, it's public performance for her. It's she's embarrassed. 
because her son has been a kid. And, you know, so she needs to send a message to everybody else that, oh, I don't let my child act wild. You know, I'm putting him in his place. Right. So I'm a good mother. So a lot of that public hitting, it's, it's, it's performance rather than, OK, you know what? I'm going to sit here and watch you put those sneakers back. We're not leaving until these, these sneakers get put back in place. Right. So there's yeah. a lot of information out there on positive discipline, nurturing parenting, painless parenting, simple Google searches, tons of books written about parenting, the teenage brain, the, the toddler's brain, all of those things. But parents have to be willing to do the work and half of them don't. They say things like, well, I tried time out. They're lying. They tried it <laughs> one time and that was it. It didn't work. So now they're like, this kid is bad. That's not going to work. And you know what they're basically saying is I've tried everything to try to get my kid into obeying me. Rather than, you know, modeling the behaviors, sitting and talking with the child, right? Building up those cognitive skills, the you know, language skills, all of those things. It's a lot of work. A lot of folks don't want to put that work in. But a lot of the times, the ones that are acting up, they get plenty of spankings. Their mama come up there every day to whoop the child. And it's like spanking is not working, but yet you keep trying it. But with time out, you're going to try one time. And if it don't work perfectly, you're throwing it out the window. You didn't. You didn't want to do it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and it takes. And and, and, I, and I'm I'm humble enough to say this. I don't have children, so all I have is a parrot. And you know, <laughs> parrot five year olds. They're like five year olds with very loud voices, and they're messy and booty and those sorts of things. Yeah, I tried raising two kittens, but that didn't work out too well. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> so they are on a farm now. Um, but you know, I, I don't know what it's like to raise a child you know um and i interact with children a lot you know um you know i would handle a temp- temper tantrum different than maybe some other parent so like you know i had a child who threw a temper tantrum with me you know what i did i picked that kid up and held him in front of a mirror and he was like oh no i don't want to see that he didn't like the way he looked <laughs> yeah and, and so that stopped pretty quickly. And I mean, I have the privilege of time to read, even though I don't have children, I read about children's brain development. I read mm-hmm. about their behaviors. You know, you know, as a scholar, I studied children and, you know, the, the, the cultural ideas about childhood, but also just the biology of being a kid. And when you take the time and understand that your child's brain is just mush. And it takes 24 years for it to develop, develop the language skills, the reasoning skills, the emotional regulation, all of those things. When you understand that, like even my students, I teach 18 to 24 year olds. And so sometimes I look at them like, OK, I don't know why you just did that or said that crazy thing. But I, I look, I literally hone in on their brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how old are you? I ask them, oh, I'm 19. OK, I, I totally get it. I understand your brain is not finished yet. <laughs> develop that you know empathy and my my job as a professor is to help guide them as parents the job is to guide your kids through those stages not beat it out of them Mm. oh i know so much to to deconstruct and like try and get people to learn i don't know how you do it stacy i don't i don't Because after yeah. someone says something terrible once, I'm like, well, 
delete and blocked. That, that, <laughs> I guess. Oh, yeah. I get, don't get me wrong. I do that sometimes too, depending on the mood. But uh, the most of the time I engage, okay. never know who's sitting by silently and they're learning from that exchange. And you may be validating things they've always felt. You may okay. be giving them the language to say things that they can't necessarily find the words for. You may be changing a child's life, right? Because that parent is listening and that parent says, oh, I'm not going to do that. And that child is going to grow up to be somebody who shifts the entire universe because you spoke up, because you didn't just hit de- delete and block. Now, after you have a few exchanges and the person still wants to be asked, then you delete and block them. But you just <laughs> never know the power of, of, of your message. And we all, we, it's, it's, it's about changing culture. That means the predominant messages that are out there now are so toxic. They need to be beaten, spare the rods, all that. But it takes people like us to always steadily um, building that counter narrative and trafficking in logic and truth and love and empathy. And the children will hear you. You never know when there's a child sitting by listening to you offer a very solid and powerful rebuttal to a parent who believes that violence is the way. Mm. It, it happened to me when I was seven years in a hair salon. And I heard a woman arguing with the rest of the salon saying, no, this is a bad thing. She had no idea that there was a seven-year-old little girl there who was listening and who would grow up to do this work because I heard her, because she spoke up. I think what we want to do now, Gabby, go ahead. We'll, we'll go ahead and end it with our last question we have. <laughs> All right. So we... <laughs> we agreed on most of this stuff and it was a great conversation. Uh, now we're going to get into some to some stuff. Okay. <laughs> so, a well back Dr. Stacy. Uh-huh. Um, you started some controversy on on the book, on the Facebook. By some some comments or a status you made about the black feminists. And um yeah, we talked about it on the show. We we kind of had our disagreements about what you were talking about. Um, can you talk a little bit about where you were coming from when you wrote that when you wrote that post? This was in uh, September 29th. Um, you said not all, but far too many black feminist theory these days is untreated personal trauma, brokenness, pent up sexual frustration, clinging to victimhood status. Anecdotes, hyperbole, and generalizations, and white supremacist ideology remixed and trafficked as intersectionality. It is toxic, dangerous, and liberating to no one. Okay, yeah, I remember that one. Okay. <laughs> so what's, what, what, need, what needs to be clarified about that? So uh, the one that we were kind of confused about was the pent-up sexual frustration and then also the uh the victimhood one that th- those two were kind of like mm, i don't really know like where is she going with that mm-hmm. so let me say this i've written a lot of, about black feminism okay. i hang out with a lot of black feminists um you know i've i i have reviewed scholarly work on black feminism um, I've, you know, talked a lot about intersectionality, which I do believe in. 
Um, cause we're not all, all just women. We have multiple identities, um, that make up who we are. I have paneled discussions with, uh, um, you know, everybody sitting at the table identified as a black feminist, except for me. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, so, you know, I, I appreciate the work of black feminist scholars, activists, writers, and so on. Um, you know, it's just not an ideology that I ascribe to, um, because in many respects, I don't like what it's become. I think there's a different kind of feminism uh, today versus what we saw in the early 20th century, um, you know, in the mid-20th century, um, you know, and some of this is, you know, people sort of uh, uh, coming at their activism and scholarship um, from a broken place. I think before we do this work, we have to heal. Like I had to take my own healing journey before I started talking about how we can better care about our kids. Um, I believe that a lot of feminists don't like talking about female perpetrated violence. Um, They say it's not real. There are people who say that misandry is not real. Misogyny is real, but not misandry. Um, And I just feel like like we need to have conversations about how a racist capitalist system has caused us to hurt each other. Hurt each other. Men versus women, women versus children, all of that. And I just find that a lot of feminists don't want to talk about the pain that we cause each other, um, that we cause uh, women who are of uh, along the sexual um, and gender identity spectrum. We don't want to talk about that. Um, the pain we, we, we cause our children. Um, so that's what bothers me. There's a lot of dishonest conversation. And it, a lot of it's not necessarily about coming to a bridge of understanding or healing. You know, it, it bothered me when Eric Garner was choked to death on national television in broad daylight to hear black feminists say, I'm not marching for Eric Garner. I'm not marching for black men. And, and I'm like, this guy, he's not even in the ground. And this guy was somebody's father, and husband, and son and brother. We can't afford to be talking about not showing up for each other, you know? And, um, you know, so, you know, I, a few weeks ago, I, I um, posted a piece about men who are victims of domestic violence at the hands of women. And I said, we need to talk about this. This is real. Mm-hmm. But then you know, a lot of so-called self-proclaimed feminists jumped in on the thread and were like, oh, nope, men, you know, kill women more. Between who kills the other more or abuses the other more. You know, we can't, I said, can we just talk about this particular aspect right now? And it was like, no, we, you know, uh, women's bodies are like the, the sole edifice of all violences and oppressions. Nobody on what we've been through. We have to push children to the periphery. We have to push men 
out of the conversation. And I'm not that kind of conversation. I'm more of a humanist. So I'm not denying anybody's experience, but we need to look at how our own individual traumas and our own girlhoods impact the way we think about gender identity and gender politics and our activism uh, and so on. So that's that's what I'm saying here. Okay. Well, with it being cleared up like that, I, I kind of I see what you're talking about, um, especially when you talk about, um, you know, you wanting to discuss male domestic violence victims. I, I can see why there would be that knee jerk reaction, because I guess it's for us black women in general. We have been fighting to be heard for so long. It's like when somebody tries to shift the conversation onto men, then it's like, well, we're not really being heard again. I I can see why people are acting like that, but it's not really that serious. We do need to have a space where we can talk about everything, everything that's nuanced and all that type of stuff, like the women perpetrators of violence, the women that are killing their children, the women that are hitting on men, the, the women that are perpetrating misogyny and white supremacy onto their kids and their loved ones and stuff like that. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, when you when you say it like that, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> when you with the way you say it now, like uh, at first I was like, mm, I might want to fight her. But now oh my I, God. <laughs> no, I don't want to fight you. I promise. I'm just playing. Um, no, and no, absolutely. No, I agree. Now with what you're saying, especially I'm I'm just going off of what Gabby said, but basically I feel the same way. If we're not talking about things that are specifically having to do with intersectionality, then you cannot call your feminism intersecting. It's not. If you're not talking about all of it, then you don't have intersecting feminism. It's, that's not a thing. So, yeah, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. All right. Well, I guess it's resolved. Um, oh. <laughs> we didn't have a fight today. <laughs> no fight. Um, so uh, what do you guys think, our listeners? You know, we had an episode about it a while back. Come back now. Tell us what you think about this whole overall episode. Use the hashtag Talk It Out Pod. Uh, tweet us. Hit up uh, Dr. Stacey Patton as well. Let her know what you thought. Give us your comments, your questions. We might read them back on the air. Of course, we'll tweet you guys. Go to our uh, social medias, Facebook at Talk It Out Podcast, Instagram at Talk It Out Podcast, and Twitter at Talk It Out underscore pod. Like I said, go check out um, SpareTheKids.com for resources. If you have any children and you are looking for those alternative resources um, or alternative methods to um, disciplining your child rather than hitting, make sure you go over there and uh, learn some good stuff because she's doing some great work over there um thank you dr stacy Patton, again for coming on the show we really 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 appreciate you and we thank you for taking time out of your spring break to talk to us yes thank you so much thank you, yeah. thank you. i i needed it. i needed that that break from grading all those exams so thank you <laughs> so much ladies I, I love you guys i love what you're doing keep going keep doing this i'll be watching you guys in the 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 internet street and uh thank you so much for having me on all right thank you stacy you guys can always hit us up uh to search for our merch on t public that's gonna be t t e e dot p u b p u b slash l i c slash talk shop or you can just search in t public for talk shop 
Uh, Talk and you can shop. T A L K S H O P. Yes. Like you talk and you shop. Because we're talking out. Get it? Okay, anyway. Uh, you can basically buy our merch on there. We have plenty of things. We have our Protect Women of Color t-shirt, our Girl Power t-shirt, Talk It Out podcast with the old school Taco Bell sign. Uh, we also have some things about not touching people of color's hair. If feminism is cancer, we don't want chemo, 90s R&B and chill. Go ahead and check that shop out. Uh, thank you to everybody who has already bought some of our um we got a lot of you folks buying the merch. Yeah. So much, you guys. All you got to do is send us a picture, and uh, we will definitely show you off on our social media shop. I mean, show, social media account. So uh, thank you so much again for working with us. And Gabby, go ahead and close us out. We also got one big announcement. Y'all been asking for it. We're getting ready to get it started starting next month, April 1st. We will be starting our annual pad and tampon drive. Information will be coming soon on our social media channel, so make sure you're locked in there so you can get all the information. We're going to be teaming up with Sister Supply, an organization in Memphis, Tennessee, and um, somewhere else, I think like Michigan, and they distribute the pads and tampons out to the places that it needs to go. So we will give you all the information on where you need to send money or send um, pads or underwear or whatever, and we will get it popping and show them that the podcast family cares about those in need. All right, that's enough housekeeping for now. This has been your girl, Gabby. And KT. And this has been Talk It's Out. Talk it out. <laughs>